Specialty Story, session number 60. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student or maybe a resident, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you will want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Ah, just missed it. How you doing today? My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week for Specialty Stories. If you didn't know, I also host many other podcasts. You may be a medical student listening to this, but I guarantee you that you probably have some pre-med friends. And if you do, I would love for you to share the Pre-Med Years podcast with them. You can find it at premedyears.com. This week, we have Dr. Taylor Inman, who is a pediatric pulmonologist who is one and a half years out of fellowship training, and she practices in an academic medical center. Let's go ahead and dive right in and talk to Taylor about her journey as a pediatric pulmonologist. Taylor, when did you realize that you wanted to be a pediatric pulmonologist? It actually wasn't until my second year of residency that I realized I wanted to be a pediatric pulmonologist. I always knew that I wanted to go into medicine from a young age. Um, I have type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed when I was five. So I've been exposed to medicine. My mom's a nurse. My dad has a PhD. So I always knew I wanted to do something in medicine. And I knew that I wanted to do pediatrics and work with kids. And in pediatrics residency, I knew I wanted to subspecialize. I like kids, but I don't like healthy kids that much. I like things (laughs) to be interesting. And so I rotated through a few different specialties and it was trying to find something that I liked that I thought would be interesting uh, long-term and also had good work-life balance and pulmonology kind of fit that bill. And then the pulmonology group uh, where I did residency at Chalk was amazing and took me in and um, helped me learn what it would be like to be a pulmonologist and made it sound really fun. And that's when I decided that I would pursue pediatric pulmonology. Being a type 1 diabetic, did that kind of weigh into possibly looking at endocrinology at all? Yeah. So I always thought that I would end up doing endocrinology. But once I started seeing patients with diabetes and doing endocrinology rotations, I really really didn't like treating other people's diabetes. (laughs) Uh, It was hard. It made me think about my diabetes a lot more and realized that I had diabetes. And most of the time it's on the back burner. I don't think about it very often, but when I'm talking about it all day long with patients, it just makes me a lot more aware of it. And I didn't like that as much. And it was really hard dealing with the teenagers who didn't take care of themselves because it's not that hard to avoid coming into the hospital and the same kids would come in over and over and over. So it was really frustrating. And I felt like I didn't have patience for those kind of patients. Yeah. I, I want to eat what all my friends are eating. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's fine. Just do a little bit of insulin. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. If you want your cake, you can eat it too with a shot of insulin. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> what traits do you think lead to being a good pediatric pulmonologist? So I think uh, people who pay attention to detail, because in pulmonology, there are a lot of little details that you have to tease out about patients. Uh, to help optimize their treatment. And then a lot of it, I think, is listening to families. This is a hard thing to learn when you're training and learning how to become a doctor, listening to the parents who are taking care of 
kids day in and day out because a lot of times they do know more than you do about their child's condition. So really working together and admitting that you don't know everything and the parents a lot of times will know more than you do, but working together to figure out a plan and you know fa uh, patients and families long term. So building good relationships with families is also really important. Now you're in a kind of a special situation with where you practice. Talk about uh, your decision for being a locums physician. So I kind of fell upon this uh, by chance. I trained at UCSD in San Diego, and then my husband's family is all in Las Vegas, and we moved here after training because we had a 22-month-old and a 3-month-old, and I wanted a break. We needed to live somewhere where the cost of living was lower so that I didn't have to work all, all the time for us to make ends meet. And the idea was that I would take six months or so off, study for boards, take boards, and then start working here locally. Only I discovered it's not as easy as I thought it would be to get a job locally in a pediatric subspecialty. And when I started looking for jobs here, there's one person in private practice. Uh, there is a university that doesn't have funding to hire pediatric subspecialists right now. I actually did a little bit of work in general pediatrics for them. But general pediatrics is not what I want to do. I can tolerate it, but I wanted to do pulmonology. And then I found this position, this locum's position in Fresno, California, where they're desperate for pediatric subspecialists. They have a huge pediatric hospital, over 300 beds, and mm -hmm. all the subspecialties. They really just needed help covering their inpatient service. Uh, I can do clinic if I want to, but they mainly needed help with inpatient. So I travel out there for one week at a time. And I'm on call. I round in the hospital. I stay at a hotel. They pay for the hotel and rental car and everything and all my accommodations. And it's a good work-life balance for me. And I do feel like I have gotten to know a lot of their patients. I've been doing it for about eight months now. And I know all their frequent flyers. And it's a great place to work. And it's nice being able to work and be a specialist. But then also having three weeks off to be home with the kids is really nice, too. That is very interesting. And it is an academic hospital. Talk about the the decision maybe for, for liking being in an academic hospital. Yeah, so they started their own pediatric residency this year. is the first year they've had their own class. Um, they had residents rotate from UCSF, I believe, in the past, but now they have their own pediatric residents. There are not any fellows. But we have residents rotate through. They can do a pulmonology elective. And then we also have residents cover some of our CF patients. But for the most part, uh, most of the patients in the hospital are taken care of mainly by attendings. And then there's a resident service as well. So it's a nice balance of having some uh, resident coverage, some teaching. There's noon lectures. You know, I'll have residents covering a couple of my patients, but then also having some ownership over my patients as well. And I do like getting to know the details of my patients and really getting to know the families well and being involved in their care. But it's also nice to have the balance of residents to take those calls overnight for the 2 a.m. Tylenol orders or the random things that pop up at all hours. Yeah. So let's talk about the types of patients that you see day in and day out when you're in the hospital. So most of our patients, or the majority of our patients are patients with cystic fibrosis. We're the primary physicians for their care when they're in the hospital. We do see a lot of asthma patients as well, mainly just the refractory asthma, really sick ones who come in the hospital a lot or need to be intubated. There are a lot of chronic patients who are on tracheostomy and ventilators at home who come in the hospital and are sick. 
it's nice that Valley Children's Hospital, they have a separate service for all of the chronically ill patients and we consult on them. Where I trained in San Diego, a lot of times we were the primary physician for those patients because they had a tracheostomy ventilator, but a lot of times their problems are multi-system problems. So I learned a lot. It was a great experience, but it's nice just consulting on those patients now and helping manage their respiratory status. And then we get a smattering of other things as well. Um, kids who have pneumonias or pulmonary um, embolism type stuff, we'll see um, all kinds of random interesting things that come through the valley. There's lots of coxy infection, disseminated coxy and TB. Um, well, bronch patients, if there's uh, someone who they suspect has some sort of infection or malignancy, a lot of times we'll bronch those patients looking for infection to get a good sample. So it's a good variety of patients. For somebody who's not aware of the difference between being the consulting physician versus the primary physician, what's that difference in the hospital? Can you explain that quickly? So primary physician, you are the one in charge of everything. Um, you know, you're responsible for their feeding, their breathing, their medications, their Tylenol orders, their discharge, arranging everything. You know, you are in charge of everything. When you're the consulting physician as a specialist, you just consult on your special field. So I just consult on pulmonary things. I may suggest other things. If I have a, a like last past week, I had a baby who was recovering from RSV infection and had been on high flow oxygen for a long time. And I really wanted her to start eating because she, you know, hadn't been eating for a long time. And that was going to be one of the things to get her home. So I can make suggestions about other organ systems as well. But really, I'm just responsible for my, my lung organ system. And then a lot of times as consultants, we don't write orders for the patients because it's the hospitalist, whoever's following that patient who is responsible for their care. So ultimately I'm making recommendations and then they get to decide to follow my recommendations or not follow those. Yeah. And that can be confusing. The The primary versus consulting team can be confusing for somebody just starting out hearing these words. Primary in a hospital when somebody's admitted doesn't necessarily mean primary care doctor, like a family practice doctor, you can have a specialty service uh, and admit people to that specialty service. So there are specialties that have the patients on there as well that consult other specialties. And that's how our cystic fibrosis patients are. We are the primary for those patients when they're in the hospital. And I feel like we're their primary care physician a lot too, although Mm -hmm. we require that our CF patients have a primary care physician outside of the pulmonologist, but we're primary for those patients unless they come in with a complaint from another organ system, like if they have a bowel obstruction or um, an incarcerated hernia, had both of those recently. Mm-hmm. So those were on different services and I just consulted for those patients. Yeah. For a pediatric pulmonologist that is working mostly in the clinic, what differences might they see versus inpatient? The clinic is a little bit more low-key than inpatient, and in pulmonology clinic, it's nice because we get longer appointments with patients. Even for a straightforward asthma patient who comes in for the first time, a lot of times we'll get 45 minutes to spend with that patient really trying to figure out what's going on and what we can do to help them. So we get a smattering of different complaints. Uh, Our CF patients all come on one specific day, and we have a multidisciplinary clinic with a social worker, a dietitian our specific CF nurse and pharmacist who are all there to help and respiratory therapists all help with their care and regular pulmonary clinics. We do see a lot of asthma uh, in those clinics and 
all different respiratory complaints. Uh, we take care of patients with sleep disordered breathing, sleep apnea, so we'll manage their CPAP and BiPAP. We have patients who are on long-term ventilators at home that we care for or patients who have a tracheostomy that we also care for. So it's a good variety of different things. No two days are ever the same in pulmonary clinic. When you're in clinic seeing patients, what percentage of patients roughly are you seeing that need a diagnosis versus they already have a diagnosis and now you're just managing them? It depends. I'd say probably they 30 or 40% of the patients are new and the rest are follow-up requiring management. A lot of times once the patients are stable, especially the asthma kids, once they're stable and on a good plan and we've determined that, yes, this is asthma and there's not something else going on, then we try to have our nurse practitioners follow those patients up, especially the ones that are stable, just because there's such a high demand for pulmonologists in Fresno and there are not very many pediatric pulmonologists. So that's part of where I'm practicing, why I see so many new patients needing diagnoses and not as many follow-ups. Okay. Describe a typical day for you. So when I'm on inpatient, I usually get in the hospital around 8.30 or 9, unless I have a bronchoscopy scheduled. Those are usually scheduled first thing in the morning. We'll do outpatient bronchoscopies or inpatient. I usually try and schedule those before the day gets crazy. And then I come in a little bit later because my cystic fibrosis patients, I swear they all sleep until 10 or 11. And if I wake them up before then, then they tell their nurse, no, my doctor never came by today. I never saw any doctor. So it doesn't really pay off to come in any earlier. Um, but I come in and look through my list. If there's any new consults that come in, I usually get a heads up about those and review everything in the computer, see what happened overnight, and then make my way around the hospital seeing all the patients and talking with all the specialists who I'm consulting with or the patients that I'm consulting on. And then uh, at some point, take a quick break for lunch and Usually I spend a few hours in the afternoon writing notes. That's really my least favorite part of medicine because it'll take two and a half or three hours just to write all the notes and get all the details in of everything that I want to make sure I've documented. And I usually get done around 5.30 or so depending on how the day goes or if I get a late consult or something, but usually I'm out at a reasonable hour. Yeah, and you head to the hotel. Exactly. Talk about the training path to become a pediatric pulmonologist? What does residency, fellowship, et cetera, look like? So first process to become a pediatric pulmonologist is to match in a pediatrics uh, residency. And I've discovered it doesn't really matter where you do pediatrics residency for becoming a specialist. Um, after you do three years of pediatrics residency, you match uh, to become a pediatric pulmonologist. And the match is now in the fall of your third year. It used to be in the spring of second year when I matched, but they've postponed it to the fall of the third year, which is nice because it gives you some time to do some more electives and figure out what exactly you want to do. Matching at the end of second year, you have to know by the beginning of your second year what you want to do. Is that for all of the pediatric subspecialties? It's not. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure which ones match okay. when, Okay, but I know pulmonology has moved to the fall. Okay. Perfect. Um, and then match an interview and then, or sorry, interview and then match. And then pediatric pulmonology is an additional three years of training. And wow. most of the pulmonology fellowships require a lot of research, which is good. And it's nice. My fellowship, I had almost two years of uh, full dedicated research time and a year of clinical time. This was spaced out over three years. So I did mostly clinical my first year and mostly research my second and third year. 
and it was a good balance. I learned a lot and feel prepared to be a pulmonologist. When you were looking at subspecialties back at the beginning of your training, did you take into account how long the fellowship training was to determine what you wanted to do? So most of the pediatric subspecialists that you go into after doing a pediatrics residency, most of them are three years in length. Um, I don't know of any that are less. Okay. Uh, pediatric neurology, you can, um, if you match at the beginning, you can combine it kind of so that it's a five-year instead of six-year training program. But most of them, like even doing pediatric emergency medicine, it's another three years of training after. So it doesn't really matter what you go into. It's going to be six years total. That's regardless. Time. I know. How competitive is pulmonology? So it's actually not very competitive. Some programs may be more competitive, but when I was matching, about half of the spots were unfilled each year just because there are so many spots and so few people who want to go into pediatric pulmonology. So if you have your heart set on going to one specific place, it may be competitive in a given year if there's someone already doing a residency there who wants to match there or if the program knows of someone coming through who wants to match there. But for the most part, if you want to be a pediatric pulmonologist, you can do it. Why do you think there are so few applicants for the spots? Part of it's just going into pediatrics. I mean, the pay is not great in pediatrics. It's a lot of time that you spend mastering your subspecialty and then you get out and your earning potential really isn't, you know, that great. And the only reason I know that is because my husband, the financial planner, really has nailed that into me. It did not <laughs> affect me at all when I was going through training. I did not think about that at all. Which is um, good. Yeah, I just wanted to do something that I liked, that mm -hmm. I wanted to do every day, that I could see myself doing long term. And it's just a lot of the pediatric subspecialists, there aren't a lot of people that want to go into the subspecialty fields, especially for pediatrics. So there's a lot of availability there. Well, and it's an extra three years of training versus coming out and working and, and the pay probably isn't going to be that big of a difference than why do it is probably what runs through most people's mind. Exactly. But I enjoy it, so it was worth it. Yeah, and that's exactly what, what you should do, hopefully. So for somebody, even though it's not competitive, what should somebody be doing? Let's, let's assume that there's a, a ginormous shift and now all of a sudden pediatric pulmonology is uh, very competitive after everybody listens to this and realizes how awesome it is. What should somebody be doing to be competitive potentially for, for a pulm fellowship? So I think doing as much research as possible during your residency is helpful for applying for fellowship. Even if it's just writing up case reports, that's better than nothing. And any research that you can get involved with. Uh, I wrote up a case series of patients with this mitochondrial DNA deletion disorder called Pearson syndrome when I was a resident. And I thought it would have nothing to do with pulmonology, but it turns out those patients have some exocrine pancreatic dysfunction, which our CF patients do as well. So it kind of overlapped there and it's made me look really smart a couple of times. So <laughs> even if your research doesn't seem like it's going to apply to your field, it's still helpful to have the experience of research as early as possible. And then the next thing to help you is just great recommendation letters. Um, because I think I w got interviews everywhere that I applied to for pediatric pulmonology and really, it just came down to where I would work well, you know, where I'd fit in well and people who play nice with others and, you know, are smart can really 
go far in pediatric pulmonology. So I think working well with others, having good recommendation letters, and doing research are the best way to be a competitive applicant. For the osteopathic students listening to this, do you see any negative bias towards DOs out in the pediatric pulm world? I don't, and I don't, you know, see a difference in the training because you're doing the same pediatrics training as, you know, people who have an MD, I think most of the time. So then when you're applying for a fellowship, it's like you've already been working, doing the same thing for the last three years and fellowship, you're trained exactly the same. If you're MD or DO, it doesn't really matter at that point. What do you wish primary care providers knew about the pediatric pulm world, the the pediatricians, what do you wish they knew about your job to help their patients? Um, so to help them help their patients, yeah. I feel like 90% of the refractory asthma patients that we get from primary care doctors is non-compliance. They're just not doing the meds, they're lying and saying they're, they're doing them, or they're not doing them correctly. And I've worked in peds urgent care when I was a fellow, and then I've done a little bit of gen peds locums as well. So I get it. It's really hard to tease out all the details when you have a 15-minute slot for a jam-packed gen peds clinic. But most of the poorly controlled asthma really is all about actually taking the meds and taking them correctly. And I'm happy to see those kids in my clinic, and I have the support staff to help teach technique and call and find out if families are actually refilling their prescriptions and picking them up or not. So... I'm happy to see those patients, but a lot of times for the primary care doctors, you're doing everything right. It's just a matter of the patients taking the medicine or doing it correctly. Also for our CF patients, we really do appreciate the primary care doctors. And even for our patients who, you know, have tracheostomies or ventilators, we really appreciate them seeing patients when they're sick and really working together because as pulmonologists, a lot of times we don't have sick visit appointments, but parents recall us when they're sick. We feel obligated to do something, but a lot of times it's nice just to have someone lay eyes on the child to be able to tell us if they do in fact look sick or if they don't look sick or what they think's going on. So we really do value their input, even for the complicated kids that we do a lot of the management for. It's still, we work together and we appreciate them. What other specialties do you work the closest with? So in the hospital, we work a lot with hospitalists, PICU, NICU. We consult on a lot of patients in the ICUs. Outpatient, I feel like we work with all the specialists in different capacities. We work with the ENT a lot for kids who have airway malformations or sleep-disordered breathing. We work with cardiology for kids who have congenital cardiac defects or pulmonary hypertension. Uh, we're close with the GI for kids who have reflux. Or there's a lot of aerodigestive comprehensive clinics that are starting now as well. And then we work with allergy for kids who have asthma and allergy overlap. And then rheumatology for kids who have like vascular diseases or lupus. Um, and then with hematology and oncology, we do PFTs on most of the kids who are going to undergo treatment for cancer because a lot of the medications are... Uh, toxic to the lungs. So we'll see their patients before for PFTs. And, and then if they have any problems or drops in their PFTs, we wind up consulting on their patients. So we work with a lot of the different subspecialists quite closely. Wow. Once you become a pediatric pulmonologist, if you so desire to go through even more training, are there other opportunities to further subspecialize? So you can kind of combine and do an extra PICU training or NICU training if you want. I don't know how useful that would be um, just because, you know, PICU and NICU are each three years if you want to do that training. If you 
already done pulmonology training. It's only two additional years of training, but I don't know that doing my three years of pulmonology is really going to make me that much better of an intensivist or doing ICU training is going to make me that much better of a pulmonologist just because the fields really are split, especially in pediatrics. Um, they have split and they're kind of each their own subspecialty. So I don't, I, I really like ICU medicine and I consider doing PICU, but I just don't like the lifestyle and as exciting as it would be to only have to do two more years of training, <laughs> I just was done after my six years total. Two more and you still don't get that much of an increase in pay. Exactly. <laughs> what uh, opportunities, if any, are there to do outside of clinical medicine as a peds palm doc? So there are endless opportunities for research and fellowship requires a research project and most fellowships gives you substantial time to complete this project. They really encourage you to con continue research after you've completed your fellowship. There are tons of grants you can write and you know funding you can apply for to do research. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation has all kinds of different uh, funding pathways for physicians as well to do additional research. Um, so all the research you could ever want to do is possible in pediatric pulmonology. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into it? So that's a hard question because I feel like I've changed a lot and how I look back on things, you know, is different than how I'm experiencing them now. I think it's a, it's a long road going through everything, but I'm happy I did it. There were times during my training where I was envious of the nurse practitioners or PAs who started at the same time as me and were finished and working and already making more than me, you know, as a resident, even though we were the same age. So there were, and a lot of the NPs and PAs don't have to take call, whereas the physicians do. So that just sounded really nice. They can just work their three shifts a week or four shifts and be done. But really, I'm glad that I went through it all and it wasn't easy, but now I'm, that I'm on the other side of things, it's nice, you know, no one will ever take that MD away from you. You have that training. There's still a lot of opportunities. Even as a subspecialist, I can go practice in gen peds if I want to. I can go do urgent care, um, take care of low acuity patients in an ER somewhere, you know, if I want to. So there are a lot more options and I'm happy that I did it. And, um, you know, at the time I kind of just put my head down and went through all the training, everything that was required. And looking back, I think it was more fun than I thought that it was. You know, it was pretty cool as a 26-year-old that I was admitting kids to the hospital and deciding treatment for them with a senior resident and not much oversight overnight. Kind of scary looking back on it now, but it's pretty cool that I had that opportunity and most of the kids got better and, you know, we worked through things together to make sure we knew what or figured out what to do overnight for the kids coming in. That's great. What do you like the most about being a pediatric pulmonologist? So I just think being a pediatric pulmonologist is fun. Most of our kids get better. You know, a lot of them, regardless of what you do, will get better. So you don't have to be the smartest person to figure out what to do or some things you can tweak or things to try to help kids uh, improve. And you really get to, to know patients and families well and see the patients grow and get better and you know, graduate from pulmonary clinic and, you know, go off into the college world or just graduate because they got better and don't need to come back and see you. What do you like the least? So this is hard. I mean, I think every specialty has, uh, you know, a field or a set of patients that are not as exciting as others. So 
the patients that are hard for me to take care of are the patients who are chronically ill, who are not going to get better. And if you think about it, you know, kids who have chromosomal abnormality or seizure disorders or cerebral palsy, a lot of them eventually will have respiratory problems. And a lot of times, you know, breathing is the one thing that is, you know, can make them live or die. So we end up being pretty involved with families making decisions whether or not to place tracheostomy and place patients on ventilators. So it doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't feel right, you know, making that decision. So we work with families, ultimately it's up to them. It's also really hard if I don't feel like I agree with the family, like I see the child and see that they're not going to get better ever, but the patients want to place a trach, put them on a vent, you know, have them live for as long as possible, even if they don't have very good quality of life. So those cases are really challenging for me, just seeing kids who don't get better, who we know are not going to get better. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the specialty, whether that's treatments or technology? So right now, I think is a a pretty exciting time for pediatric pulmonology with personalized medicine. So for asthma, we have um, some new treatments for asthma monoclonal antibodies that will target, you know, IgE to lower IgE in kids who have allergic asthma who have made a really big difference in the treatment in some of our asthma patients. And I think there will be more specific targeted therapies to come in the future. And then also trying to use personalized medicine to classify patients with asthma and figure out what type of asthma they have, what specific medications will work best for them. I think there's a lot of stuff that we're just on the cusp of discovering. And then as far as cystic fibrosis, now is a very exciting time with all the um, new medications coming out um, to correct and potentiate the CFTR gene. That's the defect in patients with CF. So um, there are two drugs currently available and then more drugs on the horizon. I know a phase two study just was completed um, on a new medication as well. So I hope the price of their therapies come down right now. It's over $300,000 a year. But excited, it's very exciting to have new treatment options for some of our patients. And a patient um, who I was taking care of who just did a study felt like it made such a difference for him. In the short time he was on the study medication, he felt like he could breathe easier. He gained weight. His lung function was better. And then immediately when he stopped, everything went down. So when you're looking at the actual studies, it doesn't seem like some of the drugs have that much of a benefit for the price tag. But when you talk to individual patients, it's amazing what some of these things can do. And it's really exciting. Yeah, life-changing. Exactly. And I would be fine if we cured all of our CF patients. We would still be very busy as pulmonologists. There's plenty of work for us. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still choose Pete's poll? I think I would. I enjoy pulmonology. I love it. There's nothing about Pete's poem that I don't like. Still in the back of my mind, I wonder if I would actually enjoy being an endocrinologist when I got to the end of things. I feel like just living with diabetes my whole life, that kind of makes me an expert. So I feel like it would be easier to make a difference in the field of endocrinology living with diabetes. And for my fellowship research project, I actually did a, a study on patients with cystic fibrosis who have cystic fibrosis-related diabetes, and I did some continuous glucose monitoring studies. So I feel like I was really good at that, and I understood it really well. And even though I was a fellow and hadn't done very much research, immediately I was like an expert in interpreting these glucose readings just because I see it day in and day out with myself. So I think endocrinology would be a little easier to do research and make a difference and sound important. But 
I still like pulmonology and am just fine being a pulmonologist. That's awesome. Any last words of wisdom for the, the pre-med or med student or even peds resident listening to this trying to figure out if palm is the right choice for them? Yeah, I think just trying to get as much exposure as possible is helpful, even as a med student and resident. I mean, the patients don't really change from where you go. So trying to get involved uh, in some pulmonary clinics or at least shadowing at a clinic and seeing what kind of patients uh, are seen would be helpful. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of variety. I think it's a good balance of having excitement and seeing patients who are sick. So we still manage ventilators. It's just patients are at home, so they're not quite as sick as they are in the ICU. But then it's also really good work-life balance because I'm not getting called in overnight to come in and do procedures and things like that. I get to sleep in my own bed every night. I get woken up occasionally with pages, but it's not too bad where I have to come in or I have to spend the night in the hospital and be away from my family. So as a mom, I think it's a really good specialty to pick. All right. There you have it again. That was Dr. Taylor Inman on her journey, her specialty as a pediatric pulmonologist. I hope you got a lot of great information out of the podcast today. I am still, as always, looking for amazing guests to interview here on the podcast. Please email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, with any specific connections that you may have. Don't just send me names of people. Send me their contact info as well so I can easily reach out to them. And if you can reach out to them to begin with, that'd be even better. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.